You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Indians. This is your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. Um, on today's show, the we'll talk about today's game. We'll talk about some, you know, we're going to bring up a trade scenario, something to have some fun on kind of a, a depressing Monday after the Indians failed to make the postseason for the first time since 2015. Um... 2014 and 2015 under Terry Francona, they did not make the postseason. This year, um, they did, uh, or they did not. I'm sorry. What's interesting though is they actually won more games. Yeah, they had a, a higher winning percentage. Okay, this can't. I'm sorry. I'm getting thrown off by looking at uh, data as I'm talking to you. The Indians won one last game this year, as the year they made the uh, made it all the way to the World Series. They actually had a higher Pythagorean win theory, uh, win loss, which is kind of like expected record, was higher this year than back in 2016. Um, it's hard for Indians fans, I think, in particular, because at this point, you know, uh, they blew that lead against the Yankees in 2017. 2018, they get swept out the door by Houston. And then this year, there was some overconfidence in play. Now, there's a lot of reasons this Cleveland Indians team aren't in the postseason. I mean, the beginning of the year's roster was atrocious. And some of that's the front office's fault. Some of that is the ownership's fault. Some of that is the vets they brought in. You have to know that Terry Francona had input. You know, he, he knew Hanley Ramirez. He's been around some of these players. So that's also on the manager. There's also the fact that, you know, Francona made a lot of questionable decisions this year between playing an outdated form of baseball and just a ref- refusal to go with youth until it was too late. Um, but yeah, the Indians, basically there's enough blame to go around. Uh, it was a good team. It was a fun team. They won the most games of any team to not make the playoffs. The you know, five-game losing streak at the end just made everything all the worse, and it—it's just a—it's a hard situation for Indians fan. It is interesting that the average batter age this year is the youngest it has been since 2010. So this is the youngest age of um, for the in terms of you know the batters on this team and who got the most at bats and such, and the pitcher age is actually the youngest it has been over the last three years. So it's a team that's starting to go younger, starting to tilt that way. And we did get to see a lot of young players come forward. We're going to see a few more, hopefully, and we'll see some players like, you know, Corey Kluber hopefully rebound. According to Baseball Reference, the highest player by war this year was Shane Bieber. If anyone expected that to be the team MVP, um, I would call them a liar. Uh, That's just, that's not going to be the case of it. But his emergence was a big deal for the Indians this year. Carlos Santana having... A career year for him. Francisco Lindor, if he had been healthy all year, when you look at his numbers, he's a legit 40-40 candidate. Maybe even a 40-40-40. Like, he did steal 22 bases. Um, I don't know if he's ever going to steal 40, but that would be a, a heck of a line for him. That That's something that's even considerable. Um, Jose Ramirez is rebound, and then his return from injury. The fact of the matter is, when you look at just total at-bats on this team this year... Uh, Jake Bowers is still 7th on the team in at-bats. Leonis Martin, ninth. Greg Allen, 10th. Uh, you know, that's more than Luplo. That's more than Puig. That's more than Reyes. And you're like, well, they traded for some of those guys. But, 
even when you go down to the list, there's uh, an interesting number of players who played significant time for the Indians this year and just weren't very good. I saw a really interesting stat, speaking of uh, things that were good. Roberto Perez did not allow a passed ball this year. Uh, he's like, it's the fourth time that's happened in Major League history between his arm and everything else and the 24 home runs. Now, he, the low average and the low on base do contribute to him being more of an average bat in spite of his power, but the defense just all the more helps accentuate his value. Oscar Mercado is a potential 2020 candidate. Um, I mean, the numbers project him to be a 2020 uh, player. He is, you know, he took him a while to get to the majors. So he's going to turn 25 this December. So he's a little bit older than you might think. I don't know if we're going to see a ton of physical growth or maturation. I feel like he kind of is what he is. But a 2020 candidate with his defensive value in center field is phenomenal. Going out and adding Franmo Reyes. uh, I wish they would play him in the outfield a little bit more when the situation arises where they need an outfielder. And he was roughly an average bat uh, for the Indians once they acquired him. But once he settles in, figures things out, uh, you have five more years of control of a guy with massive power ability. And you you know, you know, had the Plesak coming out of nowhere, and I do mean nowhere. I, I, when I considered him for the top 20 prospects last year, I had people looking at me strange. Aaron Saval, I did not have him in my top 20. He was like back into the top 20, and most people I talked with agreed with me. And by most, I mean all. Uh, his elevation this year... Adam Plutko, I mean, I didn't think he was a major league pitcher. He was, uh, you know, he was the worst starter on the staff, but he was a serviceable fifth starter for the Indians. The, you know, Bieber and Clevenger's continued growth. James Karinchak, who this time last year, we just thought, oh, he's an interesting arm. We did not have what he has become in mind. Um, The fact that he looks like he could be the Indians' closer next season was not what any of us expected. Um, at this point a year ago. So there are a lot of really nice things that have come out of this season. Daniel Johnson is a prospect elevating his profile. I'll be very curious to see what happens with uh, him in terms of the Indians. And, you know, he's going to be added to the 40-man. That is a guarantee. But does he get a shot out of the start? What are they going to do in that outfield? Kind of talk about more of that in the second half of the show. But it's a disappointing season, but it's not a disappointing year. Because at the end of the day, I feel like the Indians feel more talented at this point than they did last year. I feel more confident in some of those prospects in the minors. I think the minors are better right now than they were a year ago. And I feel that the overall talent is younger and has more depth. That was the problem the Indians entered into. They entered this season with no depth, kind of a barren upper minors. And when injuries hit them, they had no one to replace them. So... Again, you can have a disappointing season, but still think it was a strong year for the team, for the development, and there are ways to improve this team. Clearly, um, we're going to have to do something on the infield. They also need to go out there and add a reliever. Now, I don't think they need to go crazy with relievers, um, just because you got Nick Sandlin and Kyle Nelson and a few other guys down there who uh, you know, look like guys who should help this team next year. So, but getting another veteran would be nice, even if it's just keeping Clippard on a one-on-one deal is kind of what they gave Perez this year. I know Clippard um, had some rough moments towards the end, but he was really good on the whole for this season. Uh, Nick Wetgren, 
you know, he was something that got off the scrap heap, turned into a solid piece. Adam Simber, ups and downs. Um, that's always going to be there with him. Oliver Perez, kind of the same deal as Simber. They still need to, again, like I said, if you lose Clippard, you need to get another arm in there. You do have Karen Chalk, but they, they use so many pitchers on this team, and it's going to be interesting with that 40-man crunch to see what the Cleveland Indians do. Um, we'll kind of get into the 40-man later on in this week because we'll kind of need to space things out to have lots of things to talk about. Our sponsor is Vivid Seats, and what's nice about what Vivid Seats has done is they are a sponsor specifically for the postseason. So remember that, postseason. Vivid Seats gets you the tickets you want, and they reward you for it. They have a built-in system. The more you go there, the better the rewards. And here's the deal. Um, If you are in a market where you can go see a playoff game right now, go over to Vivid Seats. You're going to use the promo code POSTSEASON, and you get up to $100 off your tickets. Uh, You know all the competitors out there and the ridiculous amount of service charges. Uh, This deal alone is going to make it better than what you could get at any other site. So VividSeats.com, it's the only site that's going to reward you for using them. We have to talk about the game today. We're not going to talk about the other games this weekend, but you have to talk about the last game of the year, right? You just have to. The Indians lose today. Um, Max Scherzer did not pitch. It was Joe Ross, and Joe Ross shut the Indians down. Um, He has struggled all year, so of course he shut the Indians down because that has been the modus operandus this year for the Indians when they're facing guys who are struggling. Rough start by Clevenger. Uh, Six earned runs, only four strikeouts. Didn't miss the bats he normally misses. Adam Simber came in largely ineffective. Nick Wetgren came in, was solid. Carrasco, ineffective again. I really don't like the using of Carrasco. And and here's the thing why. At the end of the day, um, he's clearly not ready to go. I understand it's a great story, and, you know, I, I really wanted him to be this guy who could come out there and be that, like, eighth-inning guy for a struggling Indians bullpen. But he wasn't, and he wasn't ready, and he wasn't healthy. Um... And it makes me sound like a terrible human being, but in a pennant race, may not have been the best time to sit there and try out to see if if you wanted to, to run Carrasco out there. So in Carrasco's like 10-game log, we go back uh, to the beginning of September when he came up. Tampa gave up a run. Chicago gave up a run. Minnesota, no. L.A., run. Uh, L.A., no run. Minnesota, two runs, Detroit, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, no run, Chicago, run, and today, another run. Roughly half the time he came out, he was giving up an earned run in these. And like I said, it's a great story, but he was not ready to pitch, and he was not effective, and the Indians kept going back to him, even though he was ineffective. Um, it's okay like to do it in today's game, because the season is done, but the fact that Tito kept going back to a pitcher who had not pitched well all year, and we know why, a pitcher who was battling cancer and just didn't have it in the majors, um, is irresponsible. Uh, it's fine. Put him on the 40-man. Your 40-man, or he's already on the 40-man. So if you activate him, you can put him on the roster and have up to 40 players on the roster. I mean, uh, we saw the Rays really take advantage of that down the stretch. And is there, it's part of the reason why the Rays are in the postseason and the Indians are not. They really went to town on using their depth. Uh, it's fine to have Krasko's depth and to put him in situations that were not high leverage. But the fact that they kept going back to him in high leverage situations this season um, was just borderline irresponsible for a team trying to chase the postseason. Again, totally activate him on September 1st. Totally let him go out there and pitch. 
let him soak up some innings, but don't put him out there in the high leverage situations, which is exactly what the Indians did. And it should come as, you know, it's one of those things that just boggles my mind when you're trying to chase something to, to send out a player you know is not 100%. Um, I mean, you did hear me on this very podcast talk about how excited I was about the addition of Carrasco because he was doing so well in the minors. And that didn't change. I was still very excited for the idea of Carlos Carrasco on this team. The problem was it became very apparent once he came up that as excited as I was, he just wasn't ready. He was not in a situation where he was going to perform well. And instead they set the Indians and Carlos up to fail. I hope he gets, I mean, I more than hope he gets healthy. I'm I'm very much rooting for him, not even having anything to do with baseball. I I could care less about the baseball side of things. Just as a human being, I want him to be uh, happy and healthy. But I hope he is able to come back next year and um, prove everyone wrong. But at this point in time, I just didn't understand his usage. But it was a rough game for him as well. The Indians offense pretty much went dormant for these last five games when the the team needed a pick-me-up. The offense did not provide it. Uh, Lindor did have a home run. Bowers had a solid day, which was nice for him. But for the most part, this team was limped offensively through these last five games and because of the way things are set up they lost five in a row to end the year uh did not change their draft position one iota if you were curious about that they are still picking 23rd overall um speaking of the draft my first mock draft of the 2020 mlb uh quote-unquote draft season goes up tomorrow it's a long-standing tradition i put that piece up and it's going to have everyone who did not make the postseason promise because the Indians are picking 23rd. I did include the teams that made the postseason with a worse record um, than the Indians. And originally I was not going to write those in and I just got into such a zone. I realized after I'd written the Brewers and the Cardinals that, oh yeah, I wasn't going to write these in. So I wrote those in and I will likely go back and continue filling in that piece as teams get eliminated, make it a bit more evergreen as it were, but if you want to see, I do a, who I think the Indians will take, and a sleeper selection there. So there'll be two possible picks for you, uh, those out there who'd like to already get kind of a sneak peek at the Indians and what they might do in the draft. Next year is a year where they have that competitive balance A pick. So this is one of those important drafts for the Indians because they have basically two first rounders. And the great news is this draft looks phenomenal right now. Last year's draft, not so much. Um, Two years ago's draft, quite good. This one looks really strong. Now, one of the things I wanted to quickly get in uh, on this show is just trying to look towards next year. And I was trying to figure out, we don't know what the situation financially is going to be. One of the, the problems for the Indians, one of the major reasons they cut money was that they're one of their big minority owners, uh, oxymoron right there, right? Uh, became the new owner of the Kansas City Royals. So the Indians essentially had to buy back his shares which kind of put them a little behind the eight ball if they can get another kind of minority owner to step in and uh, supplement that could do a lot towards allowing the indians to spend but here's an idea this would require a little bit of spending but (coughs) it's just one of those things that struck me as a possible way to go about things involving uh, the most interesting team in this offseason to me the uh, Uh, New York Mets. Now, the New York Mets are a team that I find just fascinating because of their depth. People are probably wondering why I'm not doing the Lockdown Mets podcast because I've talked about them so much on here. 
But, you know, Pete Alonso, nothing more needs to be said. They're paying Cano all that money at second base, and they're stuck with him. Uh, that was the worst contract of 2019, or the worst trade of 2019, without a shadow of a doubt. Second base, um, they have Rosario, who's a solid uh, second ba- shortstop. I'm sorry, solid shortstop, but nothing special. Uh, third base, I would think they'll let Frazier walk, and then you let Jeff McNeil play there, who was really good when he was healthy. Um just a phenomenal player. So then that leaves the outfield. Right now the Mets have Michael Conforto in right, J.D. Davis in left. Not an ideal situation for Davis. Uh, center fielder is Lagaris. I don't know how if anyone really can count on Cespedes. I, I wouldn't. Um, Nimmo isn't really a center fielder, so it's kind of a jumble. Uh, Pitching-wise, you know, they've got the, the big four, as it were. Stroman pitched very well on the stretch for them. DeGrom might win another Cy Young. Uh, Thor is maybe a little overrated. If you look at the numbers, he's kind of every year backed it up a little. And Steve Matz is a solid back-end arm. But they could use more pitching depth. Um, They're a team that has... uh, They're bottom-heavy in their minors. They have almost nothing in the upper minors to help them. So I thought it'd be interesting. They have a clear need in center field. I mean, if Cespedes is back, he's still not really a good center fielder. And they need a fifth starter. So the idea in this deal was knowing what the Indians need, knowing what they need, trying to find some interesting ways to make a deal work. And this is the one that popped up for me, which was the Indians would trade Zach Plesak. Um, I feel like his value is high right now. He'd get multiple years of control. There's a lot of reasons teams would like him. I don't think he has a ton of surplus value, but I do think there is value in a guy who came out and performed like he did. You look at some of those things like ERA+. Plus, um is a little higher on him than something like FIP is, but at the end of the day, it's an ERA under four, which still presents some value, a low walk rate. Didn't miss a ton of bats and kind of got tired, but there's reasons why he um, could have gotten tired down the stretch. And so I, I think he's tradable. Again, because you look at who the Indians already have in place, he's probably their fifth starter um, going into next year, and that would be if... Uh, Kluber comes back he and Carrasco come back then he's both those guys come out back he's not even one of your starters so he presents value and the other player um, just because of their need in center field is Bradley Zimmer I would look to trade Zimmer has been unable to stay healthy but man when he stays healthy he's a plus defender in center with 30 home run power Um, I mean it's there the problem has just been last three years he has played in 143 games and in the last two years, he's played in 42 games. Um, yeah, I mean, the offensive performance hasn't been great. There's, He is also a player who will be... He's going to turn 27 this November, but he's still a big, hulking center fielder who can hit the ball really far and play uh, plus defense. There's a lot of reasons for teams to still have an interest in Bradley Zimmer. So those are the two pieces descending out. Um, both limited value, but there is value because you get multiple years of control. They're not making a lot of money, and um, they fill needs for this team. Now, the guys I would like to kind of see the Indians go for, the first one is Jed Lowry. Now, adding Lowry is $10 million in salary, but it fills for this year that role until Nolan Jones is ready to play. If he comes out and bombs, uh, Lowry does, yeah, it stinks because it's $10 million, but... Uh, it's not a huge amount of money. It's a rental contract. 
if he's good, I mean, the previous two years in Oakland, he was fantastic. If he rebounds and he has every reason to like really try to go out there and get another big contract, he's going to be playing for money this year, which is always helpful. But you can have him play second or third. You know, you can set him up, and if Nolan Jones hits himself to the point that he's ready to play, there's going to inevitably be an injury on that uh, infield to make it so there's a spot for Jones uh, when he is ready. And if not, at the end of the year, Lowry walks. And you spent $10 million, you tried to fill that hole. It's not a big loss. I mentioned Brandon Nimmo. Uh, and by the way, taking on Lowry is something that is a favor. That's something that plays in the Indians. That's not like we're paying any cost to get him. This allows the Indians to take on more. And then here are kind of the three pieces. Like, again, Lowry, I think, is a solid piece on a buy low. Brandon Nimmo is a player that it's interesting because when you look at his basic stats like i had a white Sox fan be like oh i hope the white Sox buy low on nimmo it's like buy low he was really good a year ago and he was really good two years ago um yeah he wasn't quite as good this year but he was still a, a strong hitter um low batting average gonna walk gonna get on base that way gonna hit for some power he's an on-base slugging he's kind of like a carlos santana like player in right field with above average right field defense and athleticism. He's a guy who won't be a free agent uh, for another three years. You'll have him for 20, 21, and 22. And he does not seem to be a part of the Mets' core. Um, The Mets had some talks on him throughout the season, and he was not an everyday player for them. He only got in 68 games this year. Um, I know there were some injury issues and things like that, but he just was one of those guys that got uh, kind of shunned to the side and forgot about, and he does not have a, a great home next year with the Mets as well. So Nimmo is one of those guys, and then the nice thing with him is, I mean, he does hit pretty well against, um, he's a lefty, he hits pretty well against lefties, but he could also make an outstanding platoon with uh, Luplo. So if you put those two together and put them in uh, right field, that's part of this trade. Another part, Thomas Spooky can't stay healthy, but he was a former top 60 prospect in all of baseball for me. Left-hander, really high spin rate, which we know the Indians like. I just would like to see the Indians. He's the perfect guy you take a, a swing on. If you miss, he's not a top 10 prospect for the Mets anymore. Um, he's just been unable to stay healthy, but he's kind of a nice tertiary piece who does not seem to hold a ton of value, but is the type of guy that the Indians could possibly fix. Maybe turn into a left-handed reliever, still a chance for a starter. I just like the potential there as a very small piece in this deal. And then the other guy I'd like to see in this deal, and I'll explain how this all fits together, is Dom Smith. Dom Smith was an extremely high prospect at a lot of times who, I mean, I was in New York for about six years, and I have a lot of friends. Most of them are Mets fans, and they wanted they didn't even want Dom Smith to get a chance this year because you know they've been hearing about him. He debuted at age 22 and was not good. At age 23 last year was not good. This year he paid, appeared in 88 games, 196 at bats, 128 OPS plus, uh, 280 batting average, hit 10 home runs. You know you extrapolate that out, you're looking at a guy with a 360 on base and 20 25 home runs. Uh, always credited as an exceptional defender at first could be a passable defender in left field so that basically what it comes down to me is he's and he's completely blocked um there's nowhere for him to go he's not unseating alonzo that just forget about it uh unless jd davis falls apart but 
again, the Mets, you know, and then you got Cespedes. If you saw, there's just a lot of pieces. It's hard to make it fit together. Dom Smith was the 11th overall pick in the 2013 draft. If you went made out went went and made this deal, I would make Dom Smith your first baseman. Uh, he's going to be well. Let me change that. I would have Dom Smith and Fran Mel Reyes. Uh, compete and see whichever one of them is going to do the least amount of damage in left field. The other one is then going to be uh, if Fran Mill is the best defender in left of the two, then Dom Smith plays first base. Santana is your DH. If uh, Dom Smith is the better uh, defender in left field, would you hurt the team the least amongst those two? I would then have Santana first, Reyes at DH. But either way, I think that with a Dominic Smith, he's completely blocked. That's one of the central pieces here. Um, you're getting a chance at a really good player who isn't a free agent until 2025. So you're getting a guy who is on the upswing. He's only 24 years old. He won't turn 25 until next June. So you're getting someone who's, you know, <laughs> you're getting four years of control on a kid who's not even 25 yet and had a really strong year at age 24 which is more of a typical developmental curve age. So that's one of the reasons I think he's one of those guys that you buy cheap now. And we've seen that uh, Brody, the GM, Brody Van Wiegen, does not value these guys who were there before him unless they were uh, people who they were his clients. And that's what I'm targeting in this deal. Outside of uh, Lowry was his client, but he's got no place for Lowry. And I'm just using it to try to get more value. Uh but the idea would be essentially going forward into next year, and I know the show is running long, but I want to give you guys something fun to think about instead of thinking about the season. So you got Perez at uh, catcher, first base. Let's just say I I would think Santana, DH, Fran Mel, second base, Jose Ramirez, Jed Lowry at third, shortstop Lindor, center field Mercado, your right field platoon of Nimmo and Luplo. Left field would be uh, Dom Smith. And he is, I should probably check that, <laughs> be like, oh, you know, he's, I believe he's left-handed. Yeah, he's a left-handed bat. So lineup-wise, because I'm not going to worry about left-handed versus right-handed, um, for me, you go into next year, I'm okay with Lindor 1. I put Ramirez 2. Santana is my 3. 4 is where it starts to get a bit tricky just because, you know, guys like Dom Smith and Nimmo aren't exactly battle-tested. So I'm okay, actually, with the idea of... I'm going to go back and restart over. If the Indians want to kind of keep things this way, I'm okay with the idea of... I Personally, I'd prefer Mercado, Lindor, Ramirez, Santana. Five being that Nimmo, uh, Leplo platoon. Six is Roberto Perez. Seven is... Um, let's see, I got what what's left at this point. Se- or six is Fran Mill. Seven, Roberto Perez. Eight, Dom Smith. And at the nine hole is Jed Lowry because we don't know what he's going to do when he's back and healthy. To me, that seems like a really good lineup. Um, And I think the trade has a bit of logical sense. Again, just because the Mets don't have anything to help them now. They're able to get rid of a bad contract. They get a guy who can potentially step into center field and be do something for them. Juan Lagares is a great defender, but he is... Um, almost an automatic out with the bat. They need someone who can actually play center, and they get they get their own upside bet. The Indians get one with Smith. They get one there. So it's just kind of a fun idea to throw out, one of those I like to talk about. Um, if you were curious, I know Cat. See, my cat likes it. 
Um, if you're curious, over on that site I used earlier this year, MLB trade values, it is a value of 295 that the Indians get and a value of two, uh, 29.5 to the Indians, 29.3 to the Mets. So it's a near identical value in this trade. And the Indians get uh, three place players, two of which I'm confident could help them, and one I think would also help them. And then an interesting lotto ticket. The Mets get an upgrade at center field, and they get a back-end starter that is locked up for a long time, which is important with guys like Thor and Stroman nearing the end of those contracts. Having a starter that they don't need to worry about for the next five years is going to be a value to them. I want to thank everyone for listening. I hope I gave you some entertainment on what is probably a bit of a down day after the Indians will not be in the postseason for the first time in four years. Thank you for listening, rating, and reviewing. You're what keep this show alive. And as always, go Tribe.